0: easy vibes on the easy desert podcast your cool guide to investing you know in your analysis could we potentially see easy equities expanding into an, an asia is that what you are sort of nudging
1: at us yeah no no we're definitely doing it um we have to do it one of the reasons isn't just own organic growth uh, one of the reasons is because we have something that works bloody well in south africa And it would be wrong for us not to go and share that with the rest of the world. Asia makes sense for us, you know, from a time zone perspective, population, if you go and look at the demographics, you know, you've got close to two, three billion people, which is nearly half of the world's entire population in Asia. Mm. So why wouldn't we be wanting to go out there? And, you know, there's a lot of developing economies. There's a lot of South Africa-esque economies out there. Mm. Um, And I think taking the success factors and the success criteria, which we did and carried out so well in South Africa, and trying to put that in, you know, in Indonesia or Pakistan or Philippines or Korea, or Japan, wherever it, it may be, is going to be a huge thing for us. Look, I think we're going to make some announcements by the end of the year on that front.
0: Welcome to Easy Desert, a podcast by Easy Equities, where we simplify money and investing. No jargon, no complications. Your cool guide to investing. Easy. we're into part two of our conversation easy vibes with purple's new coo rish Uh, we're gonna talk a bit about some of the things that he's interested in Uh, i heard you are obsessed with star wars uh who's your favorite character man
1: Yeah, obsessed is probably the right word, even though, you know, those who are close to me probably hate it. My favorite character is Darth Vader, okay? And I'll explain that a bit. One, because I see a bit of Darth Vader in everybody, you know, that kind of good child gone bad, gone good again. (laughs) Um, And like, I I just think as a character, he encompasses so many emotions and uh, I love the way he uses his lightsaber. I love the way that he, I'm not that old, I'm only 38, but he was that kind of archetypal villain that everyone tries to copy-paste now, you know, that kind of big bad yeah. guy with the deep voice and everyone kind of loves it. So when I grew up, my brother always used to scare me as Darth Vader and with that voice, <laughs> you know, that that James Earl yes. um, Jones voice and um, and it's interesting because when you see James L. Jones, you just don't think this c- cool cuddly guy will have that type of voice yeah, and true. then you put him in Darth Vader and he's got this crazy voice. Yeah, I'm, the reason I'm a big Star Wars fan is, is pretty simple. One, my brother got me into it. Two, mm-hmm. Star Wars for me And every generation has their Star Wars. So, you know, the generation after me had kind of Lord of the Rings. Yeah. The generation now has kind of whatever, Twilight or, you know, whatever they have. I don't even know. But for me, Star Wars was kind of, it encompasses life. Yeah. Everything that you go through in life can actually be traced in some way to Star Wars. So, good versus evil. Yes. Master versus apprentice. A love story. Weird cultural people interacting you know all these type of things education there's like a Jedi Academy yeah. right um, using money so you know Republic credits are not used is, is a good one so that type of thing and I've been able to look at every kind of social strata of life and see part of it, and, <laughs> and see part of it in Star Wars and I like, don't get me wrong I mean like I'm not a big fan of the most recent ones I think they kind of missed the boat on 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 certain aspects but one thing I always advise and I I, I kind of even do this with kind of children I interact with and, and kind of coach and mentor I make them watch Star Wars and some of them come back and say, look, I didn't like it But I go back to them and say, well, did you learn that lesson? Or did you see that lesson? And for me, that was kind of cool with Star Wars It was it was an education for me And I remember just spending so much time looking at it um, And I'm into fiction generally So, you know, there's an expanded universe It's a whole new world And it's, it's a bit of a distraction, right? And so now, I mean, linking this a bit to what we were talking about One of the things I'm working on kind of on my own And hoping to incorporate it with purple at a later stage is this whole concept of kind of metaverse Yes Right So I spent about six months kind of fleshing out some metaverse ideas And that kind of ties in with kind of DeFi and the creative Mm -hmm. economy and stuff like that And anyway, long story short The link between that and Star Wars is actually going to become significantly narrower, right? Like, imagine the idea that you could be an avatar in a metaverse, Mm. living your life like a Star Wars droid, okay? Um, And it's a bit dangerous because I think you're going to have people having multiple avatars, multiple Mm. kind of life stories, if you like. But it's also quite a powerful thing because imagine if you're someone in Africa, you never get the chance to travel to, say, I don't know, Russia or Japan or Canada the metaverse could be your medium to go and do those things, right? And, you know, communities are built, uh, economies of scale are built, things like that. So one of the things that I think is coming our way at Purple is, is a more kind of creative economy approach. Mm. Whether that's metaverses, NF, FT, NFTs, you know, enhanced cryptos, we'll see. Um, but it all traces back in its origination to Star Wars for me. And I'll definitely be pushing Star Wars as a, <laughs> as a must read or must watch for everyone who's part of that project. Yeah. Oh
0: man, I absolutely love that. So I heard some very sad news about you in the office, right? I was in the office on Tuesday I heard that you're an Arsenal supporter I was like Oh man I feel so sorry for him Uh, Is it true?
1: No way (laughs) in hell Okay Let's uh, This is the most important part of the podcast Um, I am not an Arsenal supporter I never will be an Arsenal supporter And my children will never ever be an Arsenal supporter Okay I was brought up in London I grew up very close to Crystal Palace Okay okay, To near Selhurst Park So by default I'm a Crystal Palace fan I, I kind of Of the view that Wherever you were born Or grew up you by default need to be a fan of of, uh, yeah. of that Now obviously Crystal Palace have had their highs and lows mm-hmm. I'm glad they're doing well um, Well reasonably well at the moment Kind of mid-table which I think suits us And of all the London clubs that I like Arsenal or Spurs are probably the closest But not even that close mm-hmm. If I had to support a big team I'd say this year I, I made a conscientious effort to support Liverpool um, just, just because... I didn't want Man City to win, so I I spent four, uh, another part of my story. I spent four to five years in Abu Dhabi, okay, Ooh. and so obviously Etihad is the yes. Abu Dhabi owned Man City one, and Etihad's their primary sponsor, and every day having Man City pushed you in your face <laughs> was an absolute killer, and 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 to me it, it bugged me because. I, I'm not a big fan of the teams that buy success, all right? So don't get me wrong, the Man City team yeah. is a fantastic team. You know, they, they play good football, they're a fantastic team. But if you do a root cause analysis, you can pretty much trace it back to a, a few two, three hundred, 300, 400 million cash injections that yeah. happened over yeah. a period of time. But then I look at what Klopp's done with Liverpool, and I just think to myself, you know what, that guy's built a team. Yeah. He's, he's built a team of kind of mid or average to good players and turned them into great players, right? Um, look, my views on Arsenal, just to appease everyone, <laughs> I think you guys have endless potential. I think you got it all wrong this season. Like, whether you're encouraging growth in talent, selling the right wrong players, buying the right players. I think, and, and this way that kind of, for me, football, you need that kind of CEO who's a bit more kind of commercially minded yeah. and understands the game as well as the business side, yeah. And I see football clubs now; they've got these finance directors and directors of talent who never played football. You mm-hmm. know, they're just looking for the kind of nav on deals, right, yeah. or the marginal deals. And for me, that's where Arsenal will kind of become unlocked. Um, it's such a shame they're not in the Champions League because they belong in the Champions League. Glad
0: that the rumours
1: in the office <laughs> were not spot
0: so, on. Well, so this is this is one of the, this this is so this is one of the problems with
1: with when you join Purple, and we're gonna, we're going to um. change this. As soon as you join Purple, there's an assumption that you are an Arsenal fan <laughs> and that you are some kind of um, trail runner or you know um, ultra marathoner. You know, I'm none of the three, and I'm happy to say that. I don't want to say anything about our recruitment strategy, but you know, maybe there might be an Arsenal <laughs> line in that or non Arsenal line in that. But yeah, let's see. Oh man. So, Rich, you you spoke
0: a bit about uh, spending time in Abu Dhabi, obviously from London. Um, I know you spent quite a lot of time in Asia as well. I'm keen to know are people in those regions uh, as enthusiastic about investing as in South Africans? Because South Africans love to invest, they love to learn. Is the same enthusiasm shared in these other regions
1: no 100 i think i think there is an enthusiasm everywhere in the world with regards to investing it's just about the type and about you know how committed people are to that so one of the things i see in asia asia is a vastly different place so you know your malaysia's your philippines your vietnam's are very different to your say your singapore's and hong kong's which are slightly more mature But it goes back to one of the points we talked about at the beginning, mate, which is culture. In Asia, there is a strong culture to just do what your parents did. Okay, and part of that is to make them happy. And part of that is because it's the easiest thing to do. You know, you kind of copy paste the strategy. So like I said, property is big in Asia just because it it brings stability to the kind of family as a whole. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So you see a lot of property investments, especially early post um, or during post university days. Okay, other facets that dictate Asians investment mentality is kind of lending. Right. Do they have good access to lending? Are they a credit card um, model? Things like that. And sometimes some countries skip those kind of technologies. Yeah. So if you go to say like somewhere like the Philippines, nobody uses a credit card. Okay, they use wallets significantly more than they use credit cards, mm-hmm. and they use ulterior sources of, of financing to to kind of fund fund their lifestyles. Um, and some are just gen- generally quite risk averse. So I think, but well, I think the underlying current is there is a huge enthusiasm everywhere. It's just about t- tapping into what is culturally suitable from an investment yeah. point of view, right? So, one of the big things we see going on globally, but specifically in Asia, is a huge amount of inter J trading. You know, just trading in and out positions, a lot of crypto trading, a lot of FX, a lot, a lot of FX. So, you automatically know that, well, a couple of reasons why people are doing that is because they want short-term gains. Mm -hmm. Okay? That's why you you kind of do that. And secondly, because there is a gamification element to trading in Asia. So, it's my friends are doing that. Can I beat them? A lot of it is kind of incorporated within kind of other game gaming er, arenas you know like Axi infinity and things like that so the mindset is slightly different so one of the aims kind of from a purple perspective that we're looking to do is kind of not re-educate but add on to that education that they currently have and say well actually investments are investments they're not trading okay uh, um, and there's a bit of a unique mindset change that needs to go on to kind of push that into different directions and like I said with the kind of 9010 formula, you know, ninety percent of yours can be kind of risk-averse, you know, run-of-the-mill investments, whereas ten percent you can do the gaming thing, you can do the the kind of crypto thing. So I think it's going to be interesting for us to deep dive into those populations and see, hey, where do people want to spend their money, and specifically, you know, what's their savings lifecycle. Um, you know, there's not many retirement annuity funds, things like that. There's a lot more focus on ETFs. There's a lot more focus on one of the things coming our way, I think, which is huge, and I see this in Singapore where I stay. Is kind of sustainable investments. Mm. Okay, so a lot of people want to attach their own personal values and moral values to, the to a, exactly yeah. to their portfolios, and that's not actually that easy to do because you know, that requires a bit of research, mm. and it requires you to say, well, actually, I might not take as significant as a gain, but I'm willing to carry that action out because from a sustainable value perspective, that ties in with what I'm thinking. So one of the things I see really pushed in kind of Singapore and Hong Kong is kind of sustainable ventures. So, you know, I recently bought a kind of water-based ETF, um, which essentially the underlying is the desire to have clean water globally Mm -hmm. across all geographies. That kind of ties in with my kind of corporate social responsibility stance, which is I do want to help people in the long run, okay? And I'm willing to sacrifice some of my margin for that. But I think what's going to be interesting is, and I see this with with some corporates, how do they build their sustainability strategy into their balance sheet Uh, because essentially what investors do especially the more junior ones is they do like to think that they're more technical than they actually are so they do look at the balance sheets they look at the the sharp ratios the alphas the betas and if you're doing extensive kind of balance sheet analysis and you see that there's a sustainability element that kind of lends towards your own personal desires and, and moral values then why not attach your investment Uh, to that? So what I envisage happening is a lot of ETFs that are more sustainable based. There's a lot of consumer cyclical stuff, obviously, that won't go away. But I see a big sustainability energy play coming our way.
0: You know, in your analysis, could we potentially see Easy Equities expanding into an an Asia? Is that what you're sort of nudging at us?
1: Yeah, no, look, we're definitely doing it. Um, We have to do it one of the reasons isn't just for our own organic growth. Uh, one of the reasons is because we have something that works bloody well in South Africa and it would be wrong for us not to go and share that with the rest of the world. Asia makes sense for us, you know, from a time zone perspective, population. If you go and look at the demographics, you know, you've got close to two, three billion people, which is nearly half of the world's entire population in Asia. Mm-hmm. So why wouldn't we be wanting yeah. to go out there? And, you know, there's a lot of developing economies. There's a lot of South Africa-esque economies out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think taking the success factors and the success criteria which we did and carried out so well in South Africa and trying to put that in, you know, an in Indonesia, a Pakistan, a Philippines, or Korea, Japan, wherever it, it may be, is going to be a huge thing for us. Look, I think we're going to make some announcements by the end of the year on that front. Um, I think we're going to do a really cool job of also involving our South African, both clients as well as shareholders, in that process you know you need to be transparent about why we're doing that you need to be transparent about what our overall aims are and we need to take your feedback as well because you guys were the ones who helped create the company and take it to where we go where where we're about to take it today so i think definitely asia is in our pipeline there's a lot of places in our pipeline obviously you know people are floating around the word kind of recession and things like that now and you know we are going through one at the moment but those are opportunistic times right mm-hmm. and that now's the time to build Now's the time to grow our workforce and now's the time to go into the geographies where it would have been harder, you know, maybe two years ago or in two years time. So I think there's a lot of exciting stuff and, you know, we're quite bullish about it.
0: Yeah, long, so many opportunities and, and some amazing things to come before the end of the year. So I'll be looking forward to that. As I said, I am a purple shareholder and I know a lot of our listeners are too. Obviously, you did mention that it's your first time in South Africa. I hope we're taking care of you. In terms of food, what do you think about food? What have you found enjoyable? Uh, have you tried Ishisanyama? Sanyama?
1: So I haven't tried a Shishamana. Um, um, I know I said that wrong, but <laughs> I haven't I tried forgive it. I you. <laughs> but I'll tell you what. So to working in London, I went to Singapore when I was 26. Mm-hmm. When I was in Singapore, it opened my, my eyes up to food in a way that's incredible. F- Singapore is multicultural. It's got Indian, Chinese, kind of Malay community. So the food variety is whole. So around about 26, 27, I had a discussion with my then girlfriend about being a food blogger. Okay. Okay. So food was always in the back of my mind and one of the major reasons why I travel a lot and I'm happy to go and relocate into other countries um, physically is because I love food so much. So anyway, I didn't become a food blogger, and I—that's re- one of the things I really regret in life. I really regret it There's because, still time. Well, we'll try finding time on well, the schedule. Well, there isn't time with Purple. That's <laughs> the so. I'll speak to my boss at Purple and see if he'll give me a bit of a leeway. But I, I just, I, I love. I really thought I could have made that a success. Anyway, as a result, my appetite for food and my desire to try food everywhere is huge. So when I landed in Joburg, the first thing I thought was, well, you know what? No one really advertises South African food on a global level. Mm. Like, if you go to most of the food blogs, it's Chinese food, Thai yeah, food, yeah. you know, steaks, ribs, whatever, but from an American perspective. Then suddenly, the, the purple guys and girls got a hold of me and were like, Rish, actually, we're not here to work, we're here to eat. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, every day from day one to now, which is day, like, 20, they've been dragging me out, making me try stuff. And, you know, sometimes it's, you know, your typical kind of Western fare or yeah. whatever, but the meat quality, the, the price the way you guys do it is just ridiculously good right so yesterday was a good kind of cultural day at purple we we kind of got a local um a lot of local food in you know from you know your kind of sweets all the way to your milk tops and things like that yeah. stuff which i'll never eat when i'm in uh, <laughs> in, in singapore or malaysia and and so now a couple of guys in the office are actually buying going to the butcher shop buying me biltong and all this type of stuff and freeze packing it for me to take back because. I mean, I I actually think this is a flaw with you guys. You guys do not advertise your foodie culture enough. I mean, you guys had the World Cup here, which was obviously sports dominated and stuff like that. But I can see a huge kind of food tourism market coming to South Africa because price wise, it is actually okay. You know, when you compare it to the UK's, the Japan's, etc. So I've been fortunate enough to be surrounded by people at work who are foodies um, and who've taken me on that journey. I've already told them that, you know what, I'm coming back within two months and they need to do the poiki, right? <laughs> this, this to me is like one of those milestones in life that you must yeah. achieve, right? So, um, and I know different people do it in different, different ways. ways. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the poiki. And yeah, culturally, it's just so diverse and everyone's been friendly. I've loved it. Um, I'm not just saying that. Um, I loved it. I can see how cultural identity of South Africa permeates, a brand like Purple, uh. as well, which I think is hugely important. Sometimes brand identity gets lost. Yeah. And I can see that the people within Purple, they're, they're more like family, more than friends. And that resonates so, so strongly. Um, So, yeah, don't get me. And and next time I'm down with you, look, I want you guys (laughs) to take me. uh, I want want you guys to... uh, I know you like your food. (laughs) So you need to take me out.
0: Definitely. I'm glad that we've taken care of you. We've, uh, you know, let you taste some of our great food. And I agree. I think we need to do more on a global scale to bring individuals here for our food. So completely agree. I want to bring it back towards money, right? As as we come towards the close. Rich, what would you say have been your worst and your best financial decisions?
1: Good question. So I think my worst... Financial decision was, you know, not seeing the light when it comes to saving at a younger age. Mm. Okay, so this kind of idea of kind of compound growth and, you know, exponential effect where, you know, if I had saved, whatever, $200 at the age of 25, by the age of kind of 55, I'd have probably 5x five, five that, you know, maybe 10x that. And I really only stated, say, started saving money um, kind of my mid-late 20s, okay? And that was just through fear actually Uh, you know a lot of it was just what the hell is going to happen to me when i'm older what's going to happen to me when i you know do potentially get married or when i do have kids and whatever yeah it's a fear complex so i think that was probably the biggest mistake i made the best decision i made was actually sitting down and educating myself on uh, these things okay so i was telling the guys in the car on the way here like education is so powerful right you know i'm 38 and i took more rigid robust education steps like a cfa like an mba To educate myself about finance and the arena You don't need to do that these days You've got online, you've got courses, you've got easy equities You've got other brokers All coming to the fore when it comes with education But don't make the mistake of thinking that you can go into this uneducated Okay, Um, And like I said, education can be tight or it can be loose And you decide, depending on your kind of time how much, how much time you want to spend on education. But what I did, you know, kind of around the age of 28, 29, I really kind of went deep into this stuff, really went deep into it from a technical standpoint and just from a generic market standpoint of... You're learning the signals, yeah. speaking to people. A lot of the news, especially in the stock market, is just speaking to people, finding out the inside information, finding out trends in those particular markets, okay? Mm-hmm. And you don't get that from just being on Google. You, you get that from, you know, podcasts. You get that from listening to the subject matter experts in the field. You get that from, you know, the blogs, the reddits, yeah. the things like that. And obviously those aren't 100% going to be win-wins, but they go a long way to informing your decision. And the only thing i would advise anyone is make sure whatever decision you make in finance it's an informed decision yeah. it's not always going to be the most the best decision it's not always going to be a uh, let it be informed let it be informed and you know it goes back to my roots as a kind of data guy like i obsess over data to the point where it gets too much you know you can see trends like you know the the u.s stock market you can see there's a 90 year cyclical trend to it right the the way the recessions work are the same you know if you do enough kind of high level research and drill down on the areas of interest for yourself i think you'll become an educated um, investor be sure you understand your own risk appetite OK, that's important. Um, that took me a long time to define for myself. What's my risk appetite? It went from 20, 30 percent of my, my savings amount to kind of 10 and then oscillated back and forth. So understand your risk, risk appetite. And always remember, have a conversation with people because... Everyone is going through a similar type of thought process <laughs> very as true. you don't, very don't, very true. don't, think you're the only one mm-hmm. sitting in your chair at home, having that conversation. So have that conversation out loud. I mean, end of the day, whether you follow the advice is a different matter, right? But educate, educate, educate. And you're going to see this with purple over the next um, six months, we're going to be going on an education spree on mm-hmm. every product we have. And the aim of that is to make sure that everyone from the age of about kind of eight, nine onwards has the basics and has the confidence to talk about the products that we're putting out there. And I think that's hugely important.
0: And I think what Purple and Easy Equities have gotten right is that education is in a language we understand. Sometimes financial language is very complicated. And I think just talking to people and sharing stories, um, I think is the way to go. And I've really enjoyed that when it comes to Easy and to Purple. Um, Rich, the one other thing that I did this morning was I scanned your Twitter feed. (laughs) <laughs> and I noticed a lot of chess was going on So I've got a very uh, interesting last question for you Which chess piece best describes you?
1: The bishop Okay And and I'll explain that Okay, again, a bit of backstory um, Why am I so into chess? Okay, so my chess story started off horribly Okay, I, I was always okay at chess mm-hmm. Then what happened is I joined a chess club Like all good chess stories Or not <laughs> There's a girl there's a girl involved. <laughs> <laughs> I knew there was something yeah. else involved in this. There's this girl who's a few years older than me at the school next door to the school I went to and she was unbelievably good at chess. But she was also unbelievably pretty. So then my interest in chess obviously just went through the roof. Mm-hmm. I obviously never made it to grandmaster status, which is a big regret in my <laughs> life. No. But um I, I loved it. I love playing it. The reason I like the bishop right, is um Very simple. The bishop moves differently to every other piece. And that's how I kind of want to live my life. Mm. I want to live my life moving differently to other people, being in a position where I can attack or defend uh, myself differently to other people and you know, just try to be the kind of unique denominator in any room that I step into. It's not always possible. But if you live your life accordingly, that way, I think it's, it's important. The, the other reason is I always used to get left with bishops on the board. <laughs> so I, I, I used to just have to be, I used to have to like them. But well, yeah, I do like chess. So if there's anyone out there, I know, I'm, I know I'm going back to Asia this week, but if there's anyone out there who wants to have a, a kind of chess match or any talk about chess, I'm, I'm all up for it. So grab me on Twitter. <laughs> I absolutely
0: love that. Rich, thank you so much for your time, for your insights, for letting us in. Purple Group is clearly in safe hands from a listener perspective, from a shareholder perspective. We're excited. We're excited in terms of your global view, the way you see the world, the way you see Purple and where it fits in the world as well. So good luck on your new journey and thank you so much for your time.
1: thank you man I appreciate you guys having me and I appreciate your listeners as well like you mentioned a lot of them are Purple shareholders you know we need you guys and girls to keep pushing us I mean as a a manager within Purple my job is to make sure you guys are looked after so keep talking to us keep talking to us reach out to me individually reach out to to Charles and the rest of the team individually as well if you have to and give us your feedback because that's what makes us uh, go forward and that's what drives a lot of our decision making and we love to hear the feedback so thanks for having me What you're doing is massively important work. And, you know, one day, you know, hopefully we cross borders as well. The podcast cross borders. Um, I'd love to get you on with other people in the field, but in different geographies. And, you know, I'm a regular listener, so I love it. Keep up the good work. Easy vibes with Purple's new COO.
0: Thank you for pressing play on the Easy Does It podcast. A big shout out to you for hanging out with us. Don't forget to subscribe. We are on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of this episode on Twitter and Insta. Our handle is at Easy Equities.